welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cécile Mitmar. And we are your hosts. Now, we are at the beginning of Patient Safety Awareness Week. The World Health Organization has published that the occurrence of adverse events due to unsafe care is likely one of the 10 leading causes of death and disability in the world. Further, they report that globally, as many as 4 in 10 patients are harmed in primary and outpatient healthcare. The most detrimental errors are related to diagnosis, prescription, and the use of medicines. So when we think about the future of diagnoses, particularly in dermatology, there's one subject that always seems to come up, artificial intelligence. So for this week's episode, we're going to catch up with Dr. Helmut Beltraminelli to talk about artificial intelligence, his international work in sustainable education and the training of specialists in Africa, and his research outcomes on the topics of melanocytic nevi, lichen planus, and the histopathological criteria associated with genital lichen sclerosis. But first... On the 6th and 7th of May, the EADV Symposium will be one of the most important virtual events this spring. With over 100 speakers and 30 hours of semi-live lectures, our scientific program is full of exciting updates. It's still possible to register at the mid-rate, but only for a limited time. Go to www.eadvsymposium2021.org for more information. And now... Dr. Helmut Beltraminelli is the Vice Director of the Department of Dermatology and Dermatopathology at the Ente Ospedaliero Cantonale in Bellinzona and Locarno, Switzerland. He is serving as the President of the Swiss Dermatopathology Group since 2016, and he is a member of the Executive Committee of the International Society of Dermatopathology, the International Society of Dermatology, and Gloderm. He is a member of the editorial board of two journals. One is our Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology, and the other is the Journal of Dermatopathology. His bio says he teaches dermatology with enthusiasm at the Medical University in Bern and Lugano. Since 2009, he is leading a project to develop dermatopathology in Sub-Saharan Africa. And since 2015, he has organized the yearly African Dermatopathology Conference. He is one of the founders of the African Dermatopathology Society, a topic that we are certainly going to ask him about today. During the last decade, he has been researching skin lymphoma, melanocytic lesions, and stromal changes in skin tumors. Dr. Beltraminelli, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Now, dermatological diagnoses are, are largely based on visual pattern recognition. And dermatology is seemingly a really good field for applying these image recognition capabilities of artificial intelligence. So how exactly can AI be utilized for assisted diagnosis? Let's say there are different fields. Um, you can say the fields from, from, let's say, the morphological point of view. That means you can, AI can be supportive in clinical diagnosis, just clinical, like when you look at the picture, you make a diagnosis, AI can do the same. You can do also see this in dermatoscopical diagnosis because it's a very particular picture or in dermatopathology. Again, we have slides and these are like pictures. 
some body or some machines recognize an algorithm or the pattern, and then you make a diagnosis. And there is a field where maybe you don't think about in this, the whole text that you put um, in the in your recording when you see a patient. You can feed this kind of text also to AI, and this can also help a lot. So feeding AI with text, it gets even better or more precise diagnosis and more precise support than feeding uh, pictures so really yes because uh, because you, you you give more detailed and more particular um, informations hmm. I have learned this at the AIDV conference in Madrid mm -hmm. from um, the speaker uh, um, at the beginning of the conference was an AI specialist who told us this in his conference so what are some of the dermatological diseases? in which, uh, which areas, uh, which diseases and which areas would AI probably be um, applied to best in a clinical decision support? I, I put it more in general. So as I said before, mm -hmm. pictures, dermoscopy and dermatopathology is a big chapter. And mm -hmm. then there are other, another way to classify what, what is the possible help. You can prevent diseases, you can promote health, you can prolong life, you can make a diagnosis suggestion, you can make a calculation of prognosis, you can monitor some disease, you can change the quality of life of patient. So, and I think it's dependent from some disease, you can have one or more of this characteristic that I just listed now. Mm -hmm. So let's say maybe for a psoriasis, it's not so important that AI is making the diagnosis, but maybe it's, it's nice you put the patient in front of a camera and AI is calculating the, the PASI in, in a second, mm -hmm. something like this. Or AI says with this PASI, um, literature says that this um, medicament has 99% better chances than the other medicament. So mm -hmm. it is supportive in the treatment and so on. So there are depending from the disease and the stage, it, you can get some different help from AI. There's an extensive body of research assessing the performance of these algorithms, which many studies reporting that the AI's accuracy matches or surpasses that of a dermatologist. What is your opinion about the efficacy of these algorithms for the diagnosis of melanoma and skin lesions? First of all, I have to say, Maybe somebody is scared. They say, okay, machine is better than dermatologist. How can it be? I mean, first of all, I have to say the machine is thousands and thousands of dermatologists because the machine remembered everything she saw and read from, from the first time the machine studied. So um, me, I'm just me alone. I, I don't have my colleagues, my other 10 colleagues of the clinic, not even the, the, the people around me are in my head because I'm just he, me. And AI has all the heads of these people or at least everything what has been fitted in the machines. Mm -hmm. Good. Now, you you, you, the question was about melanoma. Um, I think this is a good field because melanoma is pattern recognition clinically, dermatoscopically, and, the, and dermatopathologically. And as we know, this is a, a field where, let's say, 95% of lesion, there is no problem. And some lesion has maybe some problem. So I think there are two ways to get a, a, a help from AI. You can, be, you can have a supportive help. Let's say the AI, you give a picture of an EVOS and AI say 95% or maybe 98% is an EVOS, no melanoma. And then you can look at it 
knowing what AI says and make a definitive diagnosis. You, you, you have your interpretation of what the AI sees. So the first diagnosis, this is one help. And the other one is, as I already said, in maybe in, in the difficult cases where expert even does not agree, maybe AI can put the literature and the whole spectrum of everything what AI knows that maybe one expert alone does not know into the discussion and bringing statistics and say, because of this characteristic, I don't know, thinning of the epidermis, we know that with this, we have a less good prognosis in 30% of cases, something that maybe you don't have in your head, but AI can be supportive because you see the thinning of the epidermis. This is not an opinion. So putting some morphological characteristic that for you have a meaning, but you don't know the statistic behind this meaning, AI can be supportive from, from the literature, as example. I think there, is, there are much more, but this is just something important. And so what are the main limitations in terms of clinical utility of, of AI in dermatology? What are the, what are the limitations right now? Uh, one limitation is responsibility as juridically. But this is a good limitation. I think we have to decide because at the moment we are deciding, not yet the machine are deciding for us. We are deciding for the machines. We are still in this moment. Um, we are lucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it is important that we decide until where goes the, the responsibility of the machine and when is the machine uh, no more responsible. And I think for the moment, and this is good, we are responsible for the juridical point. So we are using the machine as a support, but when I sign, it's my responsibility as a specialist. And I think this is one limitation of, of the AI. I can imagine that because the machine is cheaper, it comes a time where uh, insurances or the politician says, okay, the machine now take the responsibility. We know that the machine is good in 97% of cases. We will lose the, third, the 3% and that's it. So, But I have to say something uh, realistic, which maybe some people does not like to hear, because humans are not all as good in one given speciality. So, I mean, there are dermatologists and not all dermatologists are the same good. And then maybe there is a dermatologist specialized in, or a dermatopathologist specialized in melanocytic lesion. And this is not as good as one which is not, who is not specialized at all in that particular field. Mm -hmm. So even among humans, there are differences in how good they are. And I think AI is, let's say, as a standard level and at least can bring some um, addition in, in, in this specialist where their field of knowledge is not particularly high on, an, on a given topic. So when you mentioned the political side of things now, then we start getting into also the ethical side of things. Do you see any um, potential ethical issues? When, when we have to train AI, mm -hmm. uh, we have to feed AI with a lot of data. That means um, these are patient data. And um, of course, we have to, to be very careful that these patient data are anonymous. This is mandatory, mm -hmm. but still uh, there are some possibility. If you remember a publication, now AI is able to create, as I, I open a, a parenthesis. If we make now an MRI or a CT scan of one of us, AI is able to make the 3D face of us. 
So if you publish a, a CT scan, um, today you can know more because uh, AI is able to see who you are. And I think feeding the computer with data, we will probably rea realize soon that there are some things that even if they are anonymized, AI is able to go back to some information that maybe we don't want to be public. This is the first problem. Mm -hmm. And then the, the next problem is, uh, let's say, the next step. Um, if we feed the computers with data of, 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 of patients, um, even if they are anonymized, um, insurances will, will have the possibility to make classification of patients, high risk, low risk for diseases and so on. And so some people maybe will not get an insurance or have to pay more for an insurance. And I mean, we have already a little bit of this because if you have some diseases, you don't, you cannot more make some part, uh, particular insurances, but it will get into higher level, this problem. And this mm -hmm. is from the patient point of view, somehow unethical. Well, we're seeing this in a lot of different places right now. What what pops into my mind immediately is, is when it comes to DNA testing. Yes. I mean, when you feed DNA data in AI, I don't know what will happen. Mm -hmm. And this is not only an AI problem, because sometimes there is a human behind the AI. So it's the combination of the two. Exactly. This emerging technology clearly represents an exciting opportunity for enhancing clinical decision making. But what's the attitude uh, towards AI within your professional community, with your, with your colleagues, with, with others you know? I think it's, it's variable. I can say it's splitted. I, I see people who are very enthusiastic and I, pee, I see people who are very, um, maybe scary, is a bit, it's a too big word, but um, they are prudent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I understand both. I see the opportunities and I think there are good chances that our, the quality of our work and the security for the patient is increasing. And I think this is, we will, we will feel it quite rapidly. Of course, there are, other problems, we, we mentioned some of the problems before, and I think we have to solve the, the other problems, but we have to take the positive things and use AI uh, as a support. And so in today's clinical practice, how common or accepted is it to use AI algorithms? Um, I have a, a limited uh, personal experience um, where I work, um, where I'm working now or where I worked in the last uh, 10 years, we didn't use that much AI. And I mean, the AI is more, it's more present in our private life with Google and with our phone. When you're writing a message to somebody, AI is already suggesting us what to write and 90% is right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Scary. So, yes. And, uh, but from the professional point of view, I'm not so exposed to AI. I think the next step will come in, in the next three to five years uh, with algorithm supporting um, the uh, dermatoscopy mm -hmm. and dermatopathology. And uh, I would say the clinical picture maybe also, but um, I think for the clinical picture, I see a, a, a more a limitation in, in the sense that for dermoscopy, it's more a quick help for, for the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I think the clinical help with clinical picture is less for us experts because we recognize in one second which disease it is from the if we see in picture. And maybe we need a, a clinical information in addition, but it's quite rapid. I think the difference will be that the patient does not need a dermatologist sometime because they feed the picture to the AI. And this will be a step that uh, it's increasing. And I think 
Me, I, I never used, but I saw people using it. They feed Google with information and they get diagnosis. So mm -hmm. this is today current used. How do you see AI transforming the knowledge and skills required to make an accurate dermatological diagnosis? I see this as a, as a good, um, a great opportunity. I was, uh, we, we, are, we are now deciding to, to buy uh, the digitalization of dermatopathology where I work in Locarno in, in Canton mm -hmm. Ticino. And I was speaking with some industries selling products, um, supporting our job. And of course, there is the scan machine that scans the slides so that we can see them at the computer. But then there are also algorithms that help you to decide. And one algorithm can tell you, go on the slides on the upper part left, and then you will see something that helps you to, to make the decision. The algorithm also sometimes um, recognize, let's say, a granuloma. And then the algorithm can also open um, the last publication about granuloma that she finds uh, in, in the literature. So today, it's everything on myself. Um, and this a lot of time also looking for articles and so on. So if we get um, feeding, the, if, if we can feed uh, AI that what she is um, presenting on our table is supportive, and I think this is, uh, it goes in this direction, then you, you have a, a lot of winning uh, of time. And the next step is not only that she, AI, gives you the uh, information on your desk, it can be that AI is also making, let's say, a summary of five articles and says uh, the sum of this article information is and then three sentences. And then you, you already know in which direction it goes and you make maybe an, a diagnosis or you take the chance to read one of these articles. But uh, the, the search of the article is taking a lot of time today. And this can be implemented by AI. So looking slides, deciding what the diagnosis it is, and making a differential diagnosis or refining the diagnosis because you read the literature that AI proposed to you. It's completely fascinating. And, and there is probably no limit to how much we could discuss about AI. But actually, we're now going to move on to a topic that I think you are quite passionate about. Every four years, in conjunction with the World Congress of Dermatology, the ILDS recognizes young dermatologists who have made an outstanding contribution to international dermatology, particularly for patients in underserved areas of the world. In 2019, you were selected for the Europe region from the nominations submitted by ILDS members. Can you tell us about your project supported also by the EADV to invest in sustainable education and give a chance to motivated and talented African specialists? Yes. Um, first of all, I have to say that it was a, a very great honor to receive this uh, achievement. And um, it's, um, as I said um, during um, my speech at the conference, it is always a work of a lot of people. So I received an achievement, but, um, but there, there, is, there is a crew behind. And um, I'm just, just taking a couple of minutes to explain what, what happened in the last 10 years. I was voluntary, um, doing voluntary work in, uh, during six months in Tanzania at the Regional Dermatology Training Center. And um, during that six months, I just was working as a clinician, dermatologist, supporting dermatopathology. And um, I was looking around how to move forward in the future, maybe 
to do something, but I didn't have a project. I had a project when I was um, going there the first time. And working there, was speaking with people, seeing the needs, I, I slowly decided and I, I, I saw that there was a possibility to, to teach dermatopathology. And I mean, the, the, the very good thing was that there, were, there was one colleague in particular, uh, Samson Kiprono, is an African colleague from Kenya, who was very, very interested in the field and uh, was reading a lot the books. And uh, despite he, he, he saw almost no slides or few slides, he, he was very good in morphology. So uh, in looking slides with him, it was fun. It was investing. Um, it was like playing tennis. I mean, it was fun. Mm -hmm. So the, the work was nice and for him also. And, and so we, we decided to make a small project. Uh, there was a small Derm Link grant from IFD. And, uh, and so he could go to, to South Africa and he came to Bern and we teached him. And another person I've met in Nairobi, um, Daniel Zuriel, is a pathologist. He, he was also very enthusiastic. And then these two Kenyans went to the um, Frankfurt examination, the European examination, and passed them uh, successfully. So they have the same level as a, like an European dermatopathologist. And with these two persons, very enthusiastic and so uh, successfully, I decided to give, um, let's say, a project to give a name at the project, to give a substance as the project. I wrote a project and this project was been, has been accepted by the EADV as, a, as one of the main projects in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I received um, uh, 120,000 um, euro from, from the EADV and I spent this money training, um, let's say, almost 10 African specialists who came mostly in Bern uh, some of them went also to uh, Tübingen or to another place. I, I built up a small network of people training these African specialists. And the goal was for every African specialist to go to Frankfurt and pass the, the European examination. This was the main goal. I, did, I didn't want to just train a little bit and to have a small specialist somewhere. No, I mean, a specialist is uh, the same person as, as, uh, as in our Western world. And this is also a very good... Uh, let's say level to be to be sustainable from the project because if one has the same skills as a as a specialist in in Europe then he can teach and he can work in his or her country um, as everybody else and this was the goal so at the at the end today I can say we trained six successfully passed the examination and other are still on training now. Because of COVID, we, we are a little bit pausing this training, but it will, it will continue and go on. And what about the training of specialists? I make a, another short, more shorter story. The continuation is I realized that this person, the specialists in Africa, they have no training, no continuous medical education after this. And they are alone in their country or maybe just with a colleague. So um, because I was going every year, almost a week, at the RDTC to follow uh, the project, to follow the situation of the development of dermatopathology in Africa in January. And I went always in January because there is a continuous medical education conference of one week, which is very important. It is very important 
um, for networking when dermatologists from Europe or from, let's say, all over the world meet African dermatologists in, in the tropical country. So being there and networking with other important person doing, having project and working on, on at this level with this person. So going there the week in January, I realized that I could make a dermatopathology conference just because before the dermatology conference. And so I created in 2015, the African dermatopathology conference. This is a free conference offered to any pathologist or dermatologist in Africa willing to participate. The first time we had seven, particip seven participants, the second almost 40, and now we are running around 60. And we decided, and we did it yearly, and we decided to make this conference like a rotation. So every second year go back to Moshi because there is important for networking, but every second year go in another African country. And we began with Rwanda um, two years ago, and it was also a success. I was not sure about the success of this conference because there is no CME of dermatology after the dermatopathology conference. So the people just traveled for two days of dermatopathology, but still we had uh, uh, more than 50 participants, and uh, I'm very happy about this. And the next year, there will be no physical conference because of the COVID situation, and for the first time, I will do it digital. I see this as an opportunity because uh, I will probably have the possibility to reach more people that cannot travel because of um, geographical or financial or other reasons. So the 50 people who attended, was there a, a greater prevalence towards certain countries or certain ge geographical areas from where they came? Yes. Um, let's say because everything started in Tanzania, um, mm -hmm. There is an, an influence around Tanzania. I, I, I know a lot of specialists in that area. So most of people come from Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda, um, Malawi, uh, Uganda, uh, Ethiopia, this East mm -hmm. Africa, let's say. But um, there is also there are a couple of specialists also from other countries like Nigeria, Senegal, who already who also participate to this conference regularly, and South mm -hmm. Africa, of course. Going back to what we were discussing earlier, do you think AI could tie into this project? AI is also opening the possibility to have a specialist consultation. If you, I saw everywhere, even in very remote area, I saw a smartphone. And mm -hmm. uh, there is a good connection or an, an enough good connection that the AI can work there. And then imagine that somebody who will never meet a specialist in the next 10 years can with the iPhone or the with 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 the with the um, uh, with the computer get an expert uh, consultation, and uh, I think this is the the big advantage for AI. So remote areas and poor population will get um, a specialist consultation that today is not so possible. There's no doubt that the efforts you put into this project are really quite staggering. But where did you find support for it? I had the great chance that my boss in Bern, Luca Boradori, was supporting me because you need some time to develop a project like this. And if your boss is not giving you this opportunity, this is not feasible. And in Africa, um, from the very first moment after that I was being volunteered there, Claire Fuller, Henning Grossman, Roderick Hay was believing in a project that was not yet a project. They believed and everything started because they gave me the, the chance and they very, was very supportive to let everything begin. So I have to say this is very important. And last but not least, you know, 
the, the project is very, uh, let's say, has, has a, a good success, but this is only possible if the African specialists are studying and are going to the, to the examination and they pass them. So I met a lot of highly motivated, highly intelligent, very, very interesting person from Africa, and it is their work. So without them, there is nothing. Well, it's an absolutely inspiring project. Finally, we would like to discuss some of your most recent research findings. Can you tell us about how studying morphological characteristics can help to differentiate melanocytic nevi from malignant melanoma? Despite there is um, molecular pathology and despite there is AI and, and, and everything, I have to say that morphology is still very, very important in the diagnosis of melanocytic lesion. So 95% of melanocytic lesion, you can um, make a diagnosis with morphology alone. And that, that means with HND, hematoxylineosine slides, sometimes with an immunostain in addition, but it's still morphology. And um, there are really a lot of, of a long list of characteristics that you see. And um, what we did in our research, we, we studied um, uh, nevi and melanoma. We studied um, 30 melanoma and compared the characteristic with uh, 90 nevi. Mm -hmm. And we looked for consumption of the epidermis, the elastic fibers, if the elastic fiber are present or not, if the lesion is pushing or not the elastic fibers, if there is UV changes in the lesion, if there is fibrosis, if there is inflammation, and so on. And we, we find uh, in several of these characteristics a uh, significant difference between nevi and melanoma. And uh, the pushing of the elastic fibers from the melanoma and uh, almost not from nevi and um, the absence of the elastic fiber in melanomas and the stroma and um, not in nevi, this is a very, very significant difference. What did your analysis of clinical and histopathological features reveal about the distinction between oral lichen planus and oral lichenoid lesions? So this is, was a small study. Um, we see regularly patients with stomatological problem, and there is a big discussion in, in the clinic and also in the literature how to make the difference between different diseases that may present similarly clinically and or histologically. And these are oral lichen planus and oral lichenoid lesions. So lichen planus is a, is a, is a disease that may show oral lesion, also other mucosal lesion like in genitals and skin lesions. And oral lichenoid lesions, another problem, is a group of disease that share the histology of a, of a lichenoid changes along the basal membrane zone, but does not have the skin problem of lichen planus and, um, and frequently is induced by a recognized cause. So like um, amalgam or a drug that you take or another substance that is effective in the mouth and so on. So similar changes in the mouth, but with a different story or a different skin presentation in addition to the mucosal presentation. And our study was to check if 
the histology changes can help us to make the difference. And unfortunately, we did not found any histological characteristic with significant difference. We saw um, other cl criteria, clinical criteria with some differences. So if it is symmetric or not, it may help. The lichen planus is more symmetric. If it is the tongue also affected, it is more likely to be lichen planus. Or if there is an amalgam filling, this is more likely to be the oral lichenoid lesion because it's causing a lichenoid reaction, and, but it is not a patient with lichen planus, mm -hmm. and so on. Are there histopathological criteria associated with genital lichen sclerosis in women? which could be considered when distinguish it from other vulvar dermatoses. These differences are there, but these differences are not always present um, to be seen. So there are two criteria that have been already very long published. This is the band-like sclerosis in the upper dermis under the epithelium. And another characteristic is a lichenoid inflammation. So two characteristics that are very clear um, described and good recognizable without problem of interpretation. But we, we know from patients that um, has the disease, maybe the diagnosis is already long known, but then maybe you do a re-biopsy in the follow-up because you, you want to, to check something and you don't see this characteristic, even, the even if the clinical picture is suggestive for the disease. And another situation in the early disease, we do a biopsy. We don't see one or both of these two characteristics, but we know in the follow-up three months later or six months later or one year later, we will see this characteristic in a second biopsy. So we were looking off to other characteristics that are also supportive um, to do the, the diagnosis of lichen sclerosis when one of these two main characteristics are absent. And so we saw that uh, a band-like inflammation of, um, it is important for lichen sclerosis, and um, the loss of retrigis is also important. And then we saw that the loss of elastic fibers is important. Um, the uh, eosinophil can be present. In other words, I can say that The main differential diagnosis of lichen sclerosis in an early phase, when you don't see the sclerosis and clinically you are not sure that this is sclerotic, is an early phase of lichen planus, another lichenoid disease. And the, different, the differences histologically between lichen planus and lichen sclerosis um, are important to be kept in mind to make the, the difference between these two diseases. So, Um, the changes in the epidermis are trophic, one in lichen sclerosis and hypertrophic in lichen planus, the stratum granulosum, which is more thick in lichen planus and not so thick in lichen sclerosis and other things. I don't want to bore you with this particular characteristic. Um, you have to check very, very um, carefully to make this difference. And sometimes it's still, despite our findings, not possible to make the correct diagnosis in early phases. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, and we'd like to sincerely thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to present uh, my field of interest. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, speak about the project in Africa in particularly, and um, my interest in AI. 
Uh, I wish you, everybody, a better future than what we had in the last months and um, have a great time. That was Dr. Helmut Beltramanelli. And if one of today's topics has piqued your curiosity, you can find the relevant articles in the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. So until the next episode, take care of your skin.